0: So, the movie Pride and Prejudice, um, I've of course never watched it, uh, but I've been told what it's about, uh, so, but I have intimate detail about it, even though I've never watched it, so just you know, I won't call for a raise of hands to see who's watched it, um, in case you'll be uh, not wanting to admit that, I have watched it, so just, let's just get that clear. Uh, but the movie, it's interesting, I've always wondered, you know, there's like two characters that are kind of interacting throughout the whole thing, um, and the show is called Pride and Prejudice. And it's like, well, which one is pride? Which one is prejudice? I hope I'm not going to spoil anything here. If you haven't seen it, well, I'm sorry. It came out like 25 years ago. So uh, it's okay. Uh, but in the movie, there's these two characters, uh, Elizabeth Bennet, who's the main character, and then there's Mr. Darcy. And they kind of get off on the wrong foot. Um, and throughout the movie, there's kind of like this back and forth of how they don't like each other. And then finally, the, the kind of comes to the point where he's like confessing his love for her. And she's like, you're like the last person I would love because... She has a certain impression of him, um, of what he's like, of what he does. Like um, he's, you know, prideful, and he—that's not somebody that she would love. Um, and then, but by the end of the movie, uh, all of a sudden, it's her and Mister Darcy, and he goes in to talk to her dad, basically asking for her hand in marriage, like that I could kind of marry your daughter. And then his daughter comes in, and her dad is like what's going on here? I thought you hated the guy. (laughs) Why am I now having him ask for your hand in marriage and why are you coming in here um, actually thinking about accepting this? Like, you hated him. You hate what he's like. And so uh, he asked, Lizzie, are you out of your senses? I thought you hated the man. And then she says, I I like him. Uh, I love him. And she says, he was not proud. I was wrong. I was entirely wrong about him. Uh, You don't know him, Papa, if I told you what he's really like, what he's done. And then, it, you know, kind of perplexed her. Dad says, what has he done? And then it kind of cuts out to Mr. Darcy waiting outside. That's kind of her recounting, like, what is these things he's done in the background that none of them have realized? And then he's, the dad's just, once it brings back to that scene, he's just, like, sitting in his chair, just like, I can't believe this. And he says, I, I must repay him. And she's like, no, he doesn't want that. And she just says, we misjudged him, Papa, me more than anyone in every way, not only in this Matter. But she, as she's saying it, there's just this, she's just beaming. Uh, and I rewatched the scene this past week to get it all right. First time I ever watched it, of course. Uh, but I was just like, me and Kira Knightley, she's the actress playing Elizabeth, she just does this awesome job. She's just this beaming with joy, with this clear radiance about it. She talks about this man, of what she feels for him. And then her dad just says, You really do love him, don't you? And she says, Very much. And they both are just filled with joy of just this joyous moment of her, this love that she has come uh, to have for this man and her dad just seeing it and seeing the joy and the radiance on her face. And a question for this whole movie, as we come to the end, why were these two not getting along? Why did Elizabeth not like Mr. Darcy? Why weren't they getting along? And what we learn in the movie is that she says, I had them all wrong. And the dad has them all wrong. She's like, you don't know what he's done. And then she tells him, and then he's just blown away too. And it's like throughout the whole movie, they just like had each other wrong, these wrong perceptions of one another. And this series that we're starting this morning is called The Joy of Being Loved. And joy is our theme for the year. And we started off the year with two two messages, kind of giving an introduction. It was on God's joy, the the joy that God has uh, in himself. And then also our joy, how we enter into having joy by entering into God's joy with him. And so we started the year like that, and they laid a foundation, and now we're going to do six weeks on joy, really, how do we cultivate joy, and what are kind of the things that block joy, uh, what are the things that leak joy out of our life, and how can we return to joy from uh, sadness or grief, how can we get back to joy. And the series, The Joy of Being Loved, uh, tells us that joy is relational, that joy comes uh, primarily through being loved and you can find joy in other ways uh, of course we could say why well, like golf I don't feel like I have a relationship with my golf ball or something but there's of course lots of things that make us happy that we enjoy but like the best uh, kind of joy that we were made for is relational it's the joy of being loved and uh, joy says I'm glad to be with you I'm happy to see you I like you I want to be in this relationship and so it makes love more than just this thing like well it's an action of doing nice things for somebody or love is a commitment, but love entails both action and affection, that the, what you love, you like. You like what you love. And joy, I would say, is how love feels. I'm glad to be with you. I'm happy to be with you. I have this affection for you. I enjoy you. And so love means that you like that person, too. And so why, but you might ask, well, why does joy matter? Why, why should you care about joy? Why would we spend six weeks on this? Uh, and the reality is that you already care a lot about joy. <laughs> just, you might think about how do you even uh, make decisions throughout the week or throughout your life of like, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you looking forward to? It all comes down to joy. Uh, and so I'm just, why does joy matter? I'm just going to give you two sentences. I'm going to explain each. So the first is uh, joy matters because you are always looking for joy. You are always looking for joy. When you walked in here, when you were walking up those stairs, when you sat down, you were looking for joy. And this is how one um, brain scientist describes it. He says, God designed our brains to run on joy like a car runs on fuel. Our brains desire joy more than any other thing. So our brains are always looking for joy. We're looking for that input, and specifically the joy of being loved, which means the search for joy is part of you. Every second of every day for your entire life, if your brain runs on it and it's always looking for it, joy is part of your life all the time. And every decision we make, will this bring me joy or not? Uh, We we feel like doing what brings us joy. We look forward to what makes us happy. And I'm not making a distinction between joy and happy. I think they're pretty similar, tons of overlap. Uh, We look forward to what makes us happy. We want to hang out with people who bring us joy. We evaluate books and movies and restaurants and vacations and cruises by whether we enjoyed it. Did I experience joy from that? And we ask someone, are you happy, to see how they're doing? Like, you just got a new job. Like, are you happy? Or in a relationship, are you happy? And it's kind of a way that we evaluate uh, how someone's doing or how we're doing. Am I happy? Like, I'm just not happy. I want to get out of this situation so I can be happy again. Enjoy. Uh, we talk about if you have a job you enjoy, you'll never work a day in your life. And even in our Constitution, the uh, United States, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, pursuit of joy, that is this basic necessity and essential to our life as people. And so that is uh, the first statement, is that you are always looking for joy, so that's why it matters. The second is low joy causes lots of problems. You're always looking for joy, and low joy causes lots of problems. Uh, if an engine doesn't run well, If it has no fuel or the wrong fuel, Uh, you know, your car's not going to run. It doesn't have the fuel in it. And it's not going to run well or it's going to break down if you put a different kind of fuel on it. You know, like this tank that's supposed to take normal gas, put diesel in it, it's going to be a problem. Or vegetable oil in it, that's going to be a problem. Uh, So if we have no fuel or the wrong fuel, our engine does not run well, the engine of our person. And if we want more connection and satisfaction in relationships, we should pursue joy. If we want to be free from addictions we feel like have just been hanging on to us for months or years and our whole life, it's joy is the answer to being free of those. Uh, If you want to keep your cool in difficult, stressful, challenging, painful situations, joy is the answer to it, giving you a greater capacity to endure hardship. And so the search for the joy of being loved is the most powerful influence in our lives because we are always looking for it. And you might consider an example. Have you ever seen someone totally changed their life because of a significant other, of a relationship that they got into, that they, maybe they're living close to family, uh, maybe they had a certain job, maybe they had a certain friend group, and all of a sudden they got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they're willing to move across the country for that person, leave their family, leave their friends, they're willing to leave a job that they love, they're willing to stop engaging with a group of friends they've been hanging out with for years because of a significant relationship where they're experiencing the joy of being loved. And so just that example shows the power of what that joy, the joy of being loved, uh, has in our lives. And so we'll completely change for the joy of being loved. We're willing to lose anything and everything for it. And all our decisions are become oriented around a relationship where we feel like we're getting that joy, the power of the joy of being loved. And so you could say we crave, long for, hunger for, thirst for joy. It's like you know, just in the way we hunger for food, joy is something that we're always looking for, evaluating all our decisions by it. And we give our hearts to what we will believe, to what we believe will bring us the greatest joy, or will make us the most happy. We give our hearts to it. And so we should ask, well, what will bring us the greatest joy? What is the source of the greatest joy uh, in the universe? And so we're going to be, this series going to be about how God is the best source of joy, uh, and we need to ask, like, okay, does the... Is that what the Bible says? And also, does that resonate with what you know? Uh, So as you're listening to it, the Bible story as we go through these six weeks, and especially today, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12. It tells the whole story of the Bible Bible with the theme of love. And if it's the joy of being loved, then the person who most loves us is the one who's going to give us the most joy. And so as you hear this story, it's like maybe you're like, I I haven't heard that before, but just ask, is this true to my experience? Of being a human, like, is this resonating with me? Does this have explanatory power uh, for what I go through in life and what I see other people go through? So, First John chapter four, verses seven through twelve, and maybe a question to think about: the title of this message is "God Actually Likes You," and for you to answer that, does God like you? Does God ever smile at you when He thinks of you? I mean, obviously, God kind of has all of, all of us in view all the time, but if you think about God looking at you, coming to pay attention to your life, does he ever smile at you? And why or why not? Why would God smile, and why wouldn't he smile? Does God like you? And in some ways, our answer to that question tells us whether he's a worthy person to give our heart to. Uh, We give our heart to someone we perceive will give us the joy of being loved. And so is God a worthy person to give our heart to? And so 1 John chapter 4 Uh, We're going to skip verse 7 just for a moment and go to verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we're going to focus on those three words just to start. God is love. This is the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of our world and the universe, is that it starts with a God who is love. This is before creation. God is the source and model of all love. And if God is love, and always has been, then he has always needed someone to love, even before he created us. God cannot be, if we were to say, well, God made us so that he'd have someone to love, well, then God wasn't love before he created us, because there's nobody to love. And so before the world was created, before all that happened, God is love in and of himself. Uh, But to be loving, you need someone to love. There has to be an object of your, your love and your affection. And the picture the Bible gives us is that before creation, God has always existed as three persons. That there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And those three persons make up a loving Father, a beloved Son, and the spirit of love between them. That there's the Father who loves his Son and the Son who loves his Father. And there's a spirit of love between them, three persons, that that spirit actually has its own uh, personal presence and autonomy And so, uh, in our Article 1 of our Statement of Faith, and you can look at it, it's in the back of the songbook, uh, like page 68 or something, if you want to look at it. But I'm just going to read the very first part of it, uh, Article 1. It says, We believe in one God, eternally existing as a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we believe in one God, but this one God has eternally existed in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So one God, three persons, a loving Father, a beloved Son, uh, and the Spirit of love between them. And this just describes what we see in the Bible. Sometimes people will say, well, you're talking about the Trinity, and the word Trinity isn't anywhere in the Bible, uh, and that's true. But... The concept of the Trinity is in the Bible. You, Trinity is the best explanation, you know, uh, three as one, you know, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, as one, a tri Trinity is the best way to kind of label what we see happening in the Bible, that this is the relationship we see that God has uh, within himself. And so the Trinity, um, this loving unity of three equally divine persons, describes what we see in the Bible. For instance, in cases like Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, where we see all three persons in the same scene, all three are on the stage, uh, but they all are doing different things. And so you see there's three persons here that they're uh, all, you can't just say, like, well, you know, sometimes God, God appears as a father, sometimes God appears as a son, sometimes God appears as a spirit. No, in this instance and others in the Bible, you see father, son, spirit all on stage, all doing their own actions. And so in it, we see this is when Jesus is baptized. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And when he's coming out of the water, Jesus, the Son of God, the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And as he's saying that, uh, the Spirit came down not as a dove, but like a dove. Uh, The presence of the Spirit came down on him. And so God, the Father, is speaking his love to God the Son. And the way he's communicating that love is through the Spirit, the Spirit of love between them. So all three acting at the same time on, on stage. And so the Father communicates his love to the Son by means of the Spirit. Loving father, beloved son, and the spirit of love that seals the father's love on him. And you see in that scene that God likes or enjoys what he loves. This is my beloved son. What does he say? With whom I am well pleased. I like him. (laughs) I enjoy him. I'm pleased with him. I delight in him. And so love, uh, what you love, you also like. Joy is how God's love feels. Pleasure, delight, gladness. Uh, God's love is not a cold, detached, passionless, indifferent love. And the fire of God's love gives off the warmth of joy. That's how his love feels. Joy is how it feels to be loved. And so that's our first part of the story. God is love. Uh, From before anything else existed, God is love. And if he is full of love, that means he's also full of joy within himself and that he can share with other people. So then second, God creates. God made us to be loved. So God is love before creation. Then God made us to be loved, and so you see, uh, back up one verse in First John, First John uh, chapter four, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I realized that John, um, one of Jesus' closest disciples, actually describes himself in the Gospel according to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, that he. That's his best way to describe what was it like to be with Jesus. Well, I was a disciple whom he loved. And now he's writing about this and talking about their experience in, you know, like the first century, not necessarily going back to creation, but it still applies as true. It's like God is loved before creation. And then it says, Let us love one another, for love is from God, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, that we're loved by a God who is love, and then therefore we ought to love other people as this God has loved us. And if we went all the way back to creation, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God makes, he takes six days and he makes everything we see. He gives, uh, he forms the world and then he fills the world with living creatures and plants and, and us. And after each one, he says, it's good. After each of the days, day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. Day six, he creates humanity and says, it was very good. And so, he says, I'm going to make them in my image and my likeness. Meaning, if if God is love, and he's made us in his image and likeness, that means now we ought to be loving. That if we're supposed to look like him in some way, that love is what it would be. We're made in the image and likeness of a God who is love. And you can think of this as reflecting an image or in the likeness. Like when you look in a mirror, you see your likeness. You see an image of yourself. And what God wants to be is like when he looks at us, that he sees an image of himself, a likeness of himself. Not that we are God, that we have all the things that he has, but there are some of his attributes that he wants to be reflected in us as his creation. And so we're like mirrors. When we're looking at God, now we we are a reflection of God. You know, if I was walking around as a mirror, anything I look at, there'd be a reflection of that thing in me. And so as we look to God, who is love, we're supposed to see that love. Now we become a reflection of it as his image bearers. And we reflect what we receive. Being loved by him makes us loving. And so when we receive his love, looking to him to love us, to have the joy of being loved, now we begin reflecting that joy out to other people. And we love others like we've been loved by God. And John says here, if you're not loving, it isn't possible that you know God. Because anybody who knows this God truly becomes loving. I often like to think of it as like, uh, there's one thing you could... You can visit Niagara Falls you know, digitally looking at a picture on a screen. I can show it to you. And it's like, well, you, know, you didn't really visit Niagara Falls. And how do I know? Well, you'd be kind of wet <laughs> uh, if you went up into that waterfall and visited it for real. Like, There's no way you will not be wet. And think about God. If we're visiting God, knowing him, in relationship with him, there's no way we're not becoming loving because that's just what he does to us. He loves us and it does something in us. And so we also see as I was shaking saying before, God likes and enjoys what he loves. As, as he's creating, he's saying, it is good, this creation is good, what I've made is good. And when humanity says, it is very good, and so God likes what he loves, he enjoys us. And so we were made for the joy of being loved by God. If you wanted like a purpose statement for humanity, it doesn't start with, we were made to love other people, or we were made to love God. Uh, actually, the most foundational part is we were made to be loved by God. And in being loved by God, now we become people who love God in response and love other people in response. But there's a problem because in Genesis 3, chapters 1, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates, but in Genesis 3, we left his love. So this is the next part of the story. God is love. God made us to be loved. And in Genesis 3, we left his love. And what you see, we're not going to go through that whole passage, but basically what you see is a lie introduced. Uh, of asking, does God really love you? Those aren't the exact words, but they're basically, Adam and Eve, the first humans, they're being given this question, like, I mean, can you really trust what God's saying? Like, is he really looking out for you? Uh, And basically, does God really love you? Can you really trust that? I don't know, it kind of seems like he loves himself a little more than you. And so this lie is introduced, God doesn't really love you. And the Bible describes us as in the dark, as blind, as uh, suppressing the truth. And you could say we're in the dark about God's love. We're blind to God's love. We're suppressing the truth of God's love. We're suppressing our knowledge of who he is. And after we left that love, when we believed that lie, does God really love you? And we left it. Now it's like, yeah, like I'm in the dark about his love. I'm blind to his love. And so then the next part of the story is that leaves us looking for love. We left his love. And now we are looking for love. Leaving God's love sends us looking for that love elsewhere, the joy of being loved, that we're still searching for the joy of being loved. It's part of our brain. It's part of how God made us. He made us to receive it from him. But if we leave that, now it's like, well, okay, my tank is empty and I need to get it filled somewhere, somehow. And so we look to creative things. We look to each other. And we're all on this de- desperate search. I think you could uh, describe you know, humanity's search as we're looking to fix what's wrong and find what's missing. It's like we have this sense that there's something wrong and I need to fix it. There's something wrong with me, something wrong with this world, something wrong with my relationships and I, I need to fix what's wrong. I'm searching for what will fix it. But also we feel like something's missing. Like there, I feel like I'm just looking for that thing. What's that thing that will kind of make me feel complete, will make me feel whole, will make me feel like, okay, my search is over. This is what I was looking for. And so we're on this desperate search to fix what's wrong and find what's missing. And what's wrong is our relationship with God. And because our relationship with God is broken, what's missing is God. And so it's the answer to both. Fixing what's wrong is our relationship with God, and what's missing is our relationship with God. We're on this desperate search trying to figure it out. And without God, we're disconnected from the joy of being loved that we were made for. We're made for the joy of being loved by God. And maybe you think, like, well, I mean are we all really still connected to God in that way? Like, I find a lot of love out in the world from, you know, significant others or family um, or things like that. So it's like, well, well, do we really need it? And a child will always most want their parents' love. Um, Hudson wants my love way more than he wants any of your loves or anybody else's love in this world because I'm his parent. And if he wasn't getting my love, that would be way more devastating than if he wasn't getting any of your love because a child always most wants the love of their parent. Ezra the same way. He wants my love more than he wants anyone else's love. And if they don't have it, they'll keep trying to get it. They'll be like, something's wrong here. I'm not getting love from my dad. So I need to, that's what's missing and I'm trying to fix it. Do I just like kind of try to live up to it, try to earn it? Or do I just say, forget about it. I'm going to go find it elsewhere. But still, it's going to gnaw at him. It's going to be this ache inside like, I want my dad's love and I don't have it. And it's going to be an ache that he's never going to be able to get rid of. And so he may try to find a replacement, but it's not going to work. And since God created every one of us, we most long for his love. Like a a child always wanting their parents' love, God is our creator, and so we always want his love. That's what we were made for. And you can look through the Psalms. uh, There's lots of places in Scripture that express our longing for God. Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 143, verse 6, My soul thirsts for you as in a parched land. And a, a theologian that lived like 1,600 years ago uh, said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Talking about God, that we have this restlessness, this Scrambling of looking around like there's something wrong, there's something missing, and I need to find it. I just need to somehow fix this thing I feel is wrong with my life and find this thing that's missing. And our hearts will be continually restless until we find our rest in God because that's where what we were created for. And so we were made for the joy of being loved by God, and we will long for it until we have it, even if we can't name that's what we're longing for. That it's still in us. And so the next part of the story is God brings us back through love. God is love. He made us to be loved by him. We left his love, and now we're looking for love everywhere, but he brings us back through love. Let's look at First John chapter 4, in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So basically it's like, well, we, we left his love and God says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to manifest my love to you, make it present, make it clear by sending my own son to die for you, that you left my love, you've broken this relationship, but I'm going to pay for what's broken in it. That forgiveness, we talked about this last week, forgiveness always has a cost to the person giving it. That is saying, you broke it, but I'm going to take upon myself all the damage you did to this relationship. And that's why you shouldn't see Jesus as like, you know, there's God the Father, and he's grumpy. And then Jesus says, No, Dad, like, we can still love them. I'll take it in their place. You know, beat me up instead. No, that's not what's happening. They're a loving unity of three equally divine persons. And so it's how are we going to bring this creation back through love? It's that uh, Jesus, God Himself, in order for Jesus to be a demonstration of God's love, He needs to be God. Otherwise, it's Jesus, some third party human showing his love for us, rather than God showing his love for us. And so God has to be the one dying for us, has to be the one taking the cost, that this relationship was broken, and God pays for what we damage on his own, and the cross is the picture of it. This is what you've done. This is what you've done in this relationship, but I'm going to take it so you can be forgiven of it. I'm going to pay for it. And so God, we see here, God refuses to stop loving people who've stopped loving him. God refuses to stop loving people who stopped loving him. That's the story of the Bible. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him might not perish apart from God, but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 4, That we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, because of his great love for us, he has made us alive through Jesus. Romans 5, 8, that we talked about last week, God demonstrates his love for us uh, by sending Jesus to die for us. And Jesus has all these invitations. I've come to give abundant life. Uh, whoever thirsts, come to me and drink. Whoever hungers, come to me and eat. And come to me, weary and burdened, I will give you rest for your souls. That Jesus is saying, the thing that's wrong and the thing that's missing, it's here. Come to me, the thing you're thirsting for and hungering, that restlessness that you have, that you feel is burdened of like, I somehow have to earn people's love or I just have to find it and I will find it someday. It's like, just come to me. You can rest that I want to bring you back to the one for whom your heart was made. And God likes what he loves, that he called the people of Israel, and then in the New Testament calls the church his treasured possession. That If you read in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, God calls us his glorious inheritance, that we look forward to having him, and he looks forward to having us, that it's not just like, okay, you guys are going to come and mess up my house, but I have to let you stay here. No, God looks forward to us. He likes us. Uh, Zephaniah chapter um, three, he talks about God singing over us with shouts of joy. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, Jesus says that He cherishes the people uh, whom He's loved and given Himself up for. And so, all this language of God likes what He loves. It's not just like this love, well, well, it's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to love you. I'm going to bear with you. Um, but you know, hopefully, I can get through it. You no, know, He likes us. That God is gracious. He likes us way more than we deserve. And Jesus described it like finding a treasure worth more than anything. That he said, when you find God, when you find the kingdom of heaven, it's like you were digging in a field and you found a treasure there. And you said, I'm going to go sell everything I have so I can get this field. In Philippians chapter 3, Connor talked about it a bit a few weeks ago, uh, that where the Apostle Paul is saying, I've given up everything, everything, because I found something of infinitely more value. I found Jesus, a treasure worth more than anything else. And I think sometimes we may think of this as like, well, there, we, we don't quite understand that. Maybe we're like, I don't experience like that. But think of it as Philippians 3, Paul saying like, I'll give up anything for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I'll leave my religion, I'll leave my people, I'll leave my family, I'll suffer hardship for it because it's worth more. And this is someone uh, who's in love. You think about at the beginning we were talking about uh, someone will leave their family They'll get in a relationship. They'll move across the country, leave their job, leave their family. And that's what he's describing himself. I've left it all because this person is worth more to me than all of that. This is someone who's in love. And a person, it's found a person who changes everything for them because of the joy of being loved. And so as we think of this for ourselves, making it personal, just coming back to that, the movie "Pride and Prejudice you were maybe like, why do you talking about that, uh, but coming back to it, the why these two people were disconnected and didn 't like each other, we see in the end, she, Elizabeth Bennett says, "I had him all wrong. She was seeing him all wrong, that he was doing all these things to love her and love her family behind the scenes, not in a like showy way, but just out of love and compassion for this family, and she realizes and says i 've seen him all wrong this whole time. I thought he was prideful." I thought that he was, you know, didn't like us. I thought that he was an unloving, uncaring person. But she says I had him all wrong. And there's such a joy in that scene. And I think oftentimes we can see God as like kind of the cosmic party pooper. Like, what does God have to do with joy? Like, if I want to have fun in life, uh, I'm not going to have God in church in my life. Uh, but I guess if I want to get to heaven, I need to have God in my life. It's like, no. Well, we might say things like, oh, it's heaven on earth. Um, I. Probably thought that about the cinnamon rolls from the sugar circle, which is gone. I'm still grieving it. I'm okay. Uh, so, this series is for me. How can I return to joy from the grief of losing the cinnamon rolls? But we might say, well, oh, it's like a little heaven on earth. And in many ways, like the church, and when the church gathers and the things the church does together, Jesus is saying, My presence is with them. My love is with you. And it should be this little taste of heaven on earth, the joy of being loved. And God turning to God is not turning from joy but turning to the source of joy, the best source of joy. Why? Because he's the one who loves us the most. And he loves us no matter what. And he's proved that, refuses to stop loving a world that stopped loving him. We'll get more into that in two weeks. And So there's a a book. Actually, I'd recommend this if you're like, I don't even know what it looks like for God to love me. I'd highly recommend this book um, called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And it just goes chapter by chapter by chapter talking about how, What is Jesus' heart toward people like us? People who are sinful, who are constantly failing and falling short, and who are suffering, who are in pain, who are struggling. But one of, the, one of the things he says in this, he says, The Christian life, from one angle, is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is, over many decades, fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is, this is hard work. It takes a lot of sermons and a lot of suffering to believe that God's deepest heart is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. The fall in Genesis 3 not only sent us into condemnation and exile, the fall also entrenched our minds uh, with dark thoughts of God, thoughts that are only dug out over multiple exposures to the gospel over many years. And Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. And so the Christian life is about replacing our weak, inaccurate thoughts of God with what God is actually like. Not a killjoy, not someone who sucks the fun out of everything, but actually the one who wants to give us the joy we so desperately long for. And so you were made for the joy of being loved by God is the best source of love. More love equals more joy. And there's good news. Though we left God's love, he hasn't stopped loving us. And he not only loves us, but God actually likes you. He likes what he loves. And I just want you to say that to the person next to you. Uh, tell them, God actually likes you. you. Just do that. Say that to the person next to you. God actually likes you. God actually likes you. God actually likes you. Isn't that such a happy thought? That God actually likes you. And maybe let's let's say it together, uh, God actually likes me. Let's Say it together, God actually likes me. God actually likes us. I know we, that word like we might think like, well, we you know what's better, love or like? Well, uh, when you love someone, it includes liking them, joy and affection. And I think many of us could e- would easily be willing to say, yeah, God loves me. Um, kind of like I love you know, my disobedient dog. I like to take care of him. I keep him you know, fed. I let him stay around. Uh, but it's really a chore, and I don't like it. And it's like, well, God loves us, and there's affection in that. He likes us too. And so how much you feel loved determines how much joy you have. And notice I said how much you feel loved determines how much joy you have. And you might think, well, shouldn't he have said how much you are loved determines how much joy you have. And there's been a quote that's just uh, helped me see how this actually works. How can we be so loved by God that he has proven it? He sent his own son on the cross, demonstrates his love for us, and yet we can walk through our daily lives not feeling loved by God. How can we not feel loved by this person who is so loving? In this book, I actually recommend this as another one if you want to go on this journey, Surrender to Love. He says, Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It is not the fact of being loved unconditionally that is life-changing. It is the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. And so it's not the fact, but the experience that I am being loved and I'm feeling it and receiving it. And so this series is really about learning to be loved, the joy of being loved. Learning to allow ourselves to be loved by God, to live from His love and not for it. And I will just say, if your love for God or your love for others has grown cold, the image I really like is, uh, the answer is, I just need to try to be more loving. I need to try to love God more. I need to try to love others more. No, if your love has grown cold, warm yourself by the fire of God's love for you, that your heart is being warmed by that warmth, that love, that heat that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's too wonderful of a truth to even try to get our heads around that you would love us even though we have just been so unloving towards you that we just live many of our moments, our hours, our days sometimes not even thinking about you. And Lord, would you capture our hearts with your love for us that we would just be captivated by what you are like that we would be so enthralled with who you are and the goodness of your love that we would want nothing else more. Lord, would you Allow us to experience the joy of being loved. Today and every day throughout this week, throughout this series, would you make us into a more joyful people? In your son's name we pray. Amen.